Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite professors in seminary at Sewanee was uh, also, I think, one of the quirkiest people at Sewanee, at least when I was there, and there are a lot of quirky people in Sewanee. She was a former Roman Catholic nun turned Episcopal priest, and she taught uh, the courses in contextual education, that is, teaching seminarians how to integrate what they're learning, their theological education, what they're learning in the classrooms with the, the practical side of ministry in the parish. And Susanna was also the rector of a very small church at the base of the mountain upon which uh, Sewanee sat, and uh, that church consisted of three families, nine people total, and one dog named Shaggy who would come to church each Sunday uh, with one of the families. It was rural, small church ministry at its very best, and during my second year at Sewanee, uh, I did my field education, that is my my parish internship at St. John the Baptist Church uh, in Battle Creek, Tennessee. And on many of the Sundays when I would ride down the mountain with Susanna. She would come to my house early in the morning and pick me up, uh, and then she would move to the passenger seat of her little blue sedan, and I would drive her down as she was often working on her sermon or something else as we made the 20 to 25 minute journey down, down the mountain. And on the back of her little blue sedan were just tons, gobs of bumper stickers, bumper stickers of all sorts, bumper stickers in support of various political causes, bumper stickers in support of environmental causes, uh, bumper stickers in support of various music causes of which uh, were, those were a great passion for her. And then she also had an ever-changing sort of supply of religious-themed bumper stickers that she would change out, and they sort of crept up from the bumper up to the trunk of the car and then on even to the back window of the car, so that for me it was difficult at times to see out of the back window as I was driving down that foggy mountain. Some of my favorite stickers were the ones that said things like this, don't blame me, I voted for Jesus, honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to meet him, (laughs) God loves you, but I'm his favorite, that was a good one. I bet Jesus would have used his turn signal was a good one. And then my favorite one, the reason that I actually tell you all of this story was a a long, big bumper sticker, and it said, if anyone ever asks you what would Jesus do, remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is a viable option. Uh, A good thing for us to remember. We're We're in John's Gospel account this morning, and the Jesus that we encounter today is unlike uh, any that we've seen before. The Jesus that we, that we meet today doesn't fit the Mr. Rogers image that most of us think of when we picture, easy, picture Jesus, Jesus the meek and the mild. Today we're experiencing more of a Mr. T. Jesus than a Mr. Rogers Jesus. He's, he's angry, he's upset, he wants things to change, and so he goes into the temple, he goes in, and he begins to make demands. This is one of uh, those unique stories, and it's unique because there aren't actually many of them. It's, it's unique uh, because it's recorded in all four of the gospel accounts, and there are very few stories actually about Jesus that appear in all four gospels. And they, they all tell this story, which makes most scholars think that, that Jesus probably actually did this, that at some point in his life he went into the temple and began to turn over tables. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the so-called synoptic gospel accounts, have Jesus <clears throat> cleansing the temple near the very end of his, his ministry and right before his crucifixion. Uh, he's just come into town. Uh, all of the people are proclaiming their hosannas. It's the story that we'll hear and read on Palm Sunday. And then right after that, he goes into the temple and begins to, to cleanse it. And many scholars have speculated that this was this was probably the last straw for those religious leaders who were looking for ways to have Jesus arrested and then later killed. And that makes some sense when you read the story in that way. It's different, though, in John's version. John, John has Jesus cleansing the temple right at the start, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And that's caused some scholars to wonder if maybe Jesus cleansed the temple on a couple of different occasions. John says that he's just called his first disciples. This is what's happening right before this story. He's just called his first disciples. He's performed a miracle at a wedding in Cana, and now he heads for the temple in Jerusalem because the Passover is near. Historians estimate that there could have been as many as 400,000 pilgrims in Jerusalem for the Passover during Jesus' life during this time. And, and it's uh, as it is today, when people from lots of different places flock to a religious site, there are always those who make their living by selling various items to the masses of people. If, I'm guessing if you asked some of our pilgrims from St. John's who are just back from the Holy Land, they could tell you about lots of different opportunities that they had to buy sacred and not-so-sacred objects at various holy sites. And so as Jesus, as Jesus sees these money changers seated at their tables, and as he sees those who are selling cattle and sheep and doves for the sacrificial offerings in the temple, he becomes, he becomes outraged, and he makes a whip out of some cords, and he begins to expel them all from the temple. And now here again is a place where, where John differs from the synoptic gospels, as he has Jesus not condemning them for making the place a, a place of a den of thieves or robbers, as the others say, but he instead has Jesus upset because they've turned, they've turned his father's house, God's house, into a marketplace. For the Jews, you see, the, the temple was the very place where they would go to enter into the presence of God. To go to that place was a sacred ex experience. It was the place where the connection between God and, and humanity was most tangible, most real. The temple was the very dwelling place of God for the Jewish people, the place where heaven and earth would be met together. And as Jesus enters into this place, he begins to turn over the tables and he begins to mess with all of their traditions. Jesus enters into this place and he's trying to turn the temple back into a place of prayer, the place of holiness that it's meant to be. The thing, though, that makes John's retelling so different from the other three versions is that John's version of the story ends with the Jewish people asking Jesus for a sign. Why, why are you doing these things? What sign can you give to us, Jesus? That's what they're asking him. And so, Jesus responds by telling them that if they were to tear the very temple down, he would raise it back up in three days. John, the gospel writer, makes, he makes a little end note to the story and lets us know that here Jesus is referring to the temple of his own body and thereby foreshadowing his own death and his own resurrection. But, but Jesus also seems to be making another significant theological point about where 
and how we encounter God. He doesn't dismiss the temple or other holy places where we're able to draw close to God, but but here Jesus seems to be telling us that holy encounters with God are meant to take place in the very living of our lives. St. Paul says it in this way in his first letter to the Corinthians. He writes, Do you not know that your very body, your very body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Our bodies, Paul says, are meant to be the places of prayer and praise for God. Our lives, our, our very lives are meant to be that place where we encounter God, that place where heaven and earth meet. Our lives, our lives are meant to be the dwelling places of, for God. And if we think about our bodies, our lives in this way, as temples for God, then the question that we're meant to to ask ourselves is this, what part of my life, what part of your life needs to be cleansed? What part of your life needs to be cleansed so that you can draw closer to your God? Isn't isn't that what the season of Lent is all about, reorienting, refocusing, literally turning our lives in a new direction, setting them on a new path? cleansing our lives and our hearts so that we can better focus on God. What, what needs to be cleansed in your life? Last week, some of you will remember if you were here that I said that the, the reading that we heard from Mark's gospel account was, was focusing us outward, and the question that I posed to you was this, what is it when you look out at the world, what is it that breaks your heart? How is it when you see the sufferings of others, how is it that God is calling you to respond? That's what I asked last week, and many of you have reached out to me with lots of different responses, and please keep doing that. This week, though, I think we're meant to, to turn inward. We're meant to look at our own lives and to ask ourselves the question, where, where are the places that my heart, my body, my life, where are the places those things need to be cleansed and refocused? Where can you make some changes so that you are able to draw closer to the very God who dwells within you? If you need some help figuring out the ways in which your lives, your temples might be cleansed, look to our first reading from the book of Exodus where we hear God speaking God's commandments for living to the people. Walk through the Ten Commandments and take a a spiritual inventory. Examine your conscience. Look closely at your lives and see if there are places that could use refocusing or cleansing. What things in your life, for instance, have you turned into a god? Name those idols in your life and work to extract them as best as you are able. Are there ways in your life which you drain life rather than give life? How can you, how do you rather think and talk about other people? Think about all the ways that we say negative things about those with whom we disagree or dislike. Are there, are there lies that we tell, things that we say about others just to make ourselves feel better? Are you too focused, so focused on comparing yourself with others, with others, with what they have, where they live, that you, that you aren't focused on living as the person that God wants you to be? Walk through the Ten Commandments and see if there are ways that your life can be cleansed so that you can be more, more aware, more focused on the God who dwells within you. Jesus comes into the temple today, the, the, the very place where God dwells, and he, he begins turning over tables. 
He tries to refocus and to remake that holy place into the house of prayer that it was meant to be. And the invitation is to let him do the very same thing to our hearts and to our lives, to refocus us, to remake us, to reorient us to the ways of God. What are the ways in which the church, this this sacred house of prayer, can help us to draw closer to the God who dwells within each one of us? There's a story I once heard about a, a man, and maybe some of you some of you have heard the story before. There's a man who's out walking his dog on a beautiful spring day, and suddenly <clears throat> he has a heart attack and falls to the ground, clutching his chest. Another man sees him on the ground, calls 911, and then runs over to offer his help. The man on the ground looks at him and just begins to shout, A priest, please, please get me a priest. The other man looks around and says, I I don't see a priest, but he says, maybe I can offer you some comfort. I've lived behind a Catholic church for for nearly 30 years, and every night I can hear them inside saying their prayers. Would you like me to say some of those prayers here with you right now? And the man who was having the heart attack replies, yes, please pray now. And the other man bends down close to the man's ear and begins to whisper, B13, N35. I-22, O-71. Nothing wrong with bingo, but, but I hope that St. John's, John's Church in any church, any house of prayer that you go into, gives you a sense of God's presence when you enter through the doors. I hope that St. John's Church, the prayers that we pray, the hymns that we sing, the Scripture that we hear read each Sunday morning, I hope that those things offer you tangible experiences of the holy. That's, that's our mission. The mission of St. John's Church is to be a place of renewal in the lives of all who come through our doors. So where, where are the places that your heart, your lives need to be cleansed? Meister Eckhart, the German mystic and theologian, once wrote that, that God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but only by subtracting. What needs to be subtracted from your life? What needs to be subtracted from your life so that you can more clearly see God's very presence dwelling within you? May we each during these remaining weeks of Lent spend, spend some really important time cleansing our lives of those things which, which draw us further away from the God who is dwelling within each one of us so that we may, with Jesus, during the Easter season, experience again the promised gift of resurrection, new life. Amen.